Welcome to Engineering Fields of Dreams podcast. We're here to share stories and professional experiences of engineers across disciplines and let you explore the amazing world of engineering. Each episode, you'll hear inspiring stories and advice from engineers, allowing you to learn from their successes and experiences. Whether you're an engineering student, a veteran engineer, or just curious about engineering, we invite you to join us and explore the amazing and ever-changing world of engineering. Welcome to this episode, Making Your Passion a Career, with our guest, Patrick. Thank you for being here today, Patrick. Would you please introduce yourself? Hey there, Matt. I'm really glad to be here. My name is Patrick Grubbs, and I am a person that studies closed ecological life support, um, which is a pretty fancy way to say terrariums that can support people. (laughs) So yeah, my background is in ecology and and that sort of spans quite a lot of disciplines. You have to brush up on your chemistry and your biology and your physics too, especially if you want to integrate all of these different systems into one system and ecology that can support life. So that's pretty much what I research and the application of closed ecological systems other than maybe like desktop terrariums or aquariums the real application is space life support supporting like earth life elsewhere in the universe i'm really excited to hear more about that today thank you for being here why did you choose this career sure so actually this is not my first attempt at a career. I have spent the past five or eight years maybe doing quite a few other things along the lines of entrepreneurship. I've started and sold a couple of businesses, mostly in the online publishing industry. I had a stint of a search engine optimization director at a cybersecurity startup. But now I am actually doing something that I feel very passionate about. I chose this career working on closed ecological life support systems is because I simply wasn't satisfied with the previous career. I didn't feel excited about what I was working on and I just couldn't stomach the idea of doing that for the next 50 years. Yeah, number one is I chose this career because I feel passionate and enthusiastic to meet these challenges. But I think just as important is um, I want to be impactful. I want to do something that helps progress humanity. And I think that the technology that I'm working on has a lot of applications to support not just life in space, but also here on Earth, especially in the face of climate change and extreme living that we're going to be doing maybe a hundred years from now. For sure. And I think some people might hear about your two different careers and think, oh, those are radically different, but there's actually a lot of parallels I see in optimization of systems whether it's search engine optimization or life support system optimization. Yeah, actually, it's funny that you point that out because I totally agree. Both ecology and search engine optimization are the primary tool you use is like black box simulations. Ecosystems are too complex for us really to understand every single variable, but you can know what goes in and what comes out. And if in the same way, when you're doing search engine optimization, The Google algorithm is so complex that you know what goes in and what comes out, but you don't really know why. (laughs) Mm -hmm. For sure. 
And it's a lot about solving problems and looking at different ways to approach a problem to get to that solution. Yeah, that's right. You've spanned both technology and ecology and biosystems. What is one thing that you know now that you wish you knew before graduation? Yeah. So I hope that everyone understands this before they graduate because it's, it'll be a rude awakening if not, but the degree, whether it's an undergraduate degree or a graduate degree is really just the piece of paper. It's a prerequisite so that your application or your job application is not thrown out by the applicant tracking software. It doesn't really matter where your degree is from or usually what it's in. The, the thing that's going to give you a successful career is what you did beyond the degree. What were the interesting projects or experiences that you had that you were involved in during your career in school? That's it's like the extracurriculars when you're applying to college for the first time coming out of high school. That's because of the things that differentiate your resume, your profile from other people. So that would be what I recommend people consider when they're getting close to graduation. Yeah. And I think a lot of times they don't think of the clubs necessarily as actually job prep experience or working well with others, business networking. Some of the different clubs provide leadership opportunities for them to gain experiences because they just maybe see the club as a fun thing to do, but they're actually getting a lot of life skills through that participation that might not necessarily be obvious to them in the immediate mess of it. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's really about how you spin it. If you're running a club uh, or like a fraternity thing and you organize events to, to do fundraising or, or to raise awareness for something, for example, like coordination, project management, event planning, these are all like real skills. And if we're talking about a resume, for example, the way that you frame it is how you actually get, get points for, for doing that. Instead of saying, I did a, a bake sale three times for my fraternity. Uh, you should really be saying something that sounds way more impressive, like, uh, organized 14 volunteers to, to do a two week event. We raised thousands of dollars, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all about framing. Yeah. And one of the things when I um, talk to students in my class about resumes is that a lot of times I think in interviews, they feel really powerless about the conversation. They're just there to answer questions that they get from the interviewer. But your resume is actually a real way for you to actually leverage what you can talk about, because then you can bring up the two week fundraising event that you did and the leadership skills you have. So what you put and how you frame it on the resume can really have an impact on how the interview actually goes and what you talk about. Yeah. In fact, I would add to that, that you should go off script on your interview because the your objective is to stand out from the other applicants, right? Yeah. So when I, when I was interviewing for my role at the cybersecurity company, one of the interview questions was something like, write a two paragraph article with these target customer demographics in mind and then explain why you did it that way. And I didn't actually complete that prompt. I instead was like, the premise of this prompt, it doesn't really make sense because that target demographic doesn't use this channel. So instead of doing that, I would run an ad on LinkedIn or whatever. And 
that was the first thing that they asked me about when we started the interview was, have you actually done that thing on LinkedIn? And I was like, yeah. And that was, that's the key that gets you into the, you've proven yourself that you can, you should be able to follow instructions, but applying critical thinking is even more important. Yes. I'm always looking for good communication skills, work well with others and um, their ability to problem solve on both the resume and the interview. I always tell them, you can't just say it, say it, you need to prove it. And you can prove it through the examples and the stories you tell um, and how, how you share it, share that information in the interview. It's really good for them to hear that. So thanks for sharing that. My next question is, can you recall a challenging professional situation and what did you learn from it? Yeah. So this is specifically related to my, my current work. I am, I guess I should have said this in the intro. I co-founded this nonprofit research organization called the Spring Institute for Forests on the Moon, which is an international like research org uh, based in France, actually. And it's mostly composed of early career professionals and like graduate students. And we are applying to various grants and to programs from NASA and the European Space Agency. Our core project right now is called the Scanby Project, and it's a mission to send a little shrimp ecosystem to the International Space Station. The thing about planning space missions is that it's a really long process. It's long for a lot of reasons because you have to go through the whole engineering design and validation process, which is itself very time-consuming and rigorous. Then you also have to go through a similar process for all of the science objectives. And then you have to do the same thing, but coordinating all the logistics of a rocket launch, and in our case, a sample return. So as you can imagine, it's mountains of paperwork, like yeah, inutterable amount of like information and contact people need to understand. And so this process takes several years. We're embarking on year two of this, and we don't even expect to launch it until probably next year in 2025. And the big challenge that we face is that because of this project is so long, people come and go throughout the course of the project. They're, the team has changed dramatically from the people who proposed the experiment to the people that are now currently developing it. And so the big problem here is mission continuity, or maybe project management continuity, if we're going to generalize it. Um, because new people that come onto the team lack the context and the nuance and just like the large body of information that you've built over the past however much time. And the, the way that you address this, this is something I'm still learning, but we've had to implement all of these processes to try to mitigate issue of, of new people not understanding. <laughs> you have to come up with really, really thorough, comprehensive onboarding and offboarding procedures which can take many forms. Uh, in our case, it, it's, you have to have really comprehensive internal documentation. We use um, Confluence, which is like a wiki for your project yes. management. Um, and it's nice because it integrates with the other Atlassian products like Jira, which is your actual task management. Um, but we have a whole procedure anytime someone new joins the team, one, setting their expectations or what is it that they're responsible for, how much do you expect them to be working on this thing? What are the deliverables that they're going to need to turn in on what timeline? And then like, how do you get them up to speed on all of the information everyone else knows? That's the role of your internal wiki or your documentation. 
But <laughs> another thing we learned was that just throwing all of this information at people is still not good enough. Yeah. You actually, you need to assign someone to help them learn it. So everyone also gets like a buddy and the buddy is responsible for giving them tasks, assignments to catch up and for checking in with them on a regular basis to make sure that they understand someone that they can feel comfortable with coming with stupid questions, that kind of thing. It's yeah. So mission continuity is a really big part of project management, whether you're doing space research or not. And that's, that's something you want to think about before it becomes a problem. For sure. And I teach project management in the engineering course, but you bring up a very important um, topic of knowledge management. And I think that was a really good story to share because again, that happens in all organizations of people onboarding and offboarding. And a lot of times there is knowledge that is lost uh, when documentation doesn't happen. But at the same time, I do know that it's hard to do and it takes time and always the mm -hmm. last thing you want to do. And so people don't prioritize it. But as you said, it's very important when you're working on such a big effort, like you're doing with the Spring Institute to have that knowledge base. Yeah. I, if I can give a quick tip there, I, one of the things that I found to be really helpful for like documentation in general is to, during every meeting, appoint one or two people to, to take notes instead of trying to remember what was happening after the fact and copy it all down and then it falls on one person. If everyone has the document open and everyone is like looking at things while people are taking notes, you don't usually have to do any follow-up, which makes that part easier at least. Yes. And now with, um, AI, um, I use a tool called Phantom video that I invite to, to my online meetings. And it not only does a transcript, it actually analyzes and writes a meetings summary and pulls out the action items. And it's such wow. a time saver. Yeah, um, that sounds amazing. And it allows me to actually focus on the discussion of the meeting and not have to worry about writing things down in the meeting. In closing, what advice would you impart to someone just starting their careers? Sure. The career that I'm on now working on these closed ecological systems, that's not actually a career path. <laughs> With the exception of Biosphere 2 at the University of Arizona, there are extremely few like programs or facilities that are relevant to this field. It actually took me, like I, I graduated undergrad and then did like other stuff for five or six years before coming back for a graduate degree because there simply was no program about this subject that I wanted to research. So what I eventually realized was that no one was going to make that opportunity for me. I had to make it myself. And that's what I did. It, it worked out pretty well for me uh, because I got that degree and now I'm started my own organization that pursuing this research and we have some traction and we're integrating into the new space industry as it is forming. My advice for someone starting their career is if you can't find the opportunity that you really want, you should just go ahead and make it. Like don't take no for an answer. You really can do a lot with just some emails to the right people or just pushing forward initiatives on yourself. In order to get into grad school at the University of Arizona, I organized a virtual conference, which is now an annual conference, the Space Ecology Workshop. And there's several hundred people from around the world that come every year. And I did get into school because one of the speakers that I invited was Dr. Joel Coelho, and, and he got me in, in his lab. So that was how I made my opportunity to push this forward. And I, I think that anyone can do it, really. It's, it's just about wanting it and, and pushing the buttons, sending emails to the right people.
Yeah. And I love how just to bring it back to what you started off with about, you realize that you didn't want to do search engine optimization for 50 years. I think it's important to really try to find something that you are passionate about and excited about. And sometimes that might mean creating opportunities uh, where they don't exist versus just looking for, for jobs that are out there. So that's a great story to share for the students to hear about making your own opportunities. It's been a pleasure talking with you today and thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much, Matt. This is fun. We'd like to thank today's guests for sharing their professional experience and career advice. We appreciate their insight and taking the time to share them with our audience. To you, the listener, thank you for joining us on this journey and exploring the ever-evolving world of engineering. We hope we've inspired you to pursue your dreams and ambitions. Let us know if there are topics or fields you'd like to hear more about. Until next time, we wish you the best of luck on your engineering journey. Thank you.